0: Welcome to this Pure Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash T-A-W. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Ultragenics Pharmaceutical Incorporated. Welcome to this Pure Voice activity on long-chain fatty acid disorders. This activity comprises one presentation, followed by a series of four streaming episodes with Professor Jerry Vockley. Hello, I'm Jerry Vockley. I'm a professor of pediatric research and human genetics at the University of Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the United States. Welcome to this activity. In this introductory presentation, I will discuss the latest news in long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders from newborn screening to novel therapies. Long-chain fatty acid oxidation is a process that occurs in mitochondria through the import of long-chain fats via the carnitine shuttle, which includes CPT1, CACT, and CPT2, releasing the substrate into the mitochondrial matrix. There, it is acted upon by a series of four enzyme reactions. In the case of long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders, this early very long-chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase for the first step, and then the next three steps are catalyzed by the mitochondrial trifunctional protein, which includes the long-chain 3-hydroxy coa dehydrogenase as the third step. The entire cycle for each turn releases a two-carbon unit, an acetyl-CoA, two-reducing equivalents, and then one chain-shortened substrate that can undergo the next round of fatty acid oxidation. That acetyl-CoA goes into the TCA cycle, where it is additionally metabolized to produce more reducing equivalents. All of the reducing equivalents go to the respiratory chain, where they are used to make ATP. The long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorder are identified by tandem mass spectrometry, which can be used to diagnose these patients clinically and has also been adapted to use in newborn screening uh, patients in many countries. Newborn screening has shown that the worldwide incidence of fatty acid oxidation disorders was between 0.9 and 15 per 100,000 births with a frequency of a medium chain coA dehydrogenase greater than VLCAD, which is then greater than LCHAD. The metabolite identification of these babies is usually followed up by molecular analysis to confirm the diagnosis. These mutations can help predict the severity of disease with some mutations predicting mild or late onset disease. And there are some common mutations that can be identified directly in screening tests or diagnostic testing in later childhood. The early diagnosis by newborn screening has really allowed the initiation of treatment early on and improved outcomes. In fact, with newborn screening, the mortality for long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders has dropped from as high as 70% in some studies to essentially zero in patients who are identified by newborn screening. The diagnosis of long chain fatty acid oxidation disorders by newborn screening varies globally and impacts how you think about diagnosing them in clinically symptomatic patients. Since it is not screened in many countries, you do have to rely on clinical symptoms, which we'll come to in a second. If you live in a jurisdiction where newborn screening is performed and you have a suspected patient in front of you, be sure to check that report just because you may have your diagnosis already. However, keep in mind that mild cases can have normal metabolites at newborn screening. And mistakes always happen, so do check the newborn screen report if it's available. It's unusual for severe patients to be missed by newborn screening, but those mild variants are the biggest thing that you can miss. Unexplained death can still happen in patients who live in countries without newborn screening. The clinical manifestations of long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders are shared mostly across all of the defects. They include fasting or stress-induced hypoglycemia with or without hyperaminemia. This is most typically in the newborn period and can show up with a more significant hepatic failure in especially the neonatal onset forms of the disease. The hypoglycemia tends to be present in the first few years of life, but at about age five or six becomes less common and now you start seeing a picture of recurrent rhabdomyolysis. That recurrent rhabdomyolysis may also be the only manifestations in later-onset disease with first onset of symptoms in adolescence or young adulthood. Cardiomyopathy can be seen in any age and must always be considered. Sudden death, for a patient who's not had pre screening, is unfortunately common. LCHAD and TFP deficiencies have as unique manifestations retinopathy and peripheral neuropathy, both of which get worse with age. Do keep in mind this transition as children get older with hypoglycemia being common younger and the muscle symptoms are dominating later. For management of acute episodes of long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders, the goal is to restore the anabolic state. So resting with fluid intake that can be done at home, if in a known patient with glucose-containing oral beverages, However, if symptoms are severe or oral take is inadequate or vomiting prevents a patient from keeping fluids down, then treatment in the hospital is really necessary. In the hospital, IV glucose, 10% with electrolytes as needed to maintain normal balance at one and a half times maintenance rate is usually enough to restore an anabolic state and turn the patient around clinically. Because of rhabdomyolysis, monitoring CPK levels is always necessary. CPKs tend to elevate early and will reach maximum elevation at 24 to 48 hours after the onset of symptoms. They are subsequently slow to return to baseline, but typically decrease by about half every 24 hours as long as the patient becomes metabolically stable. If there are symptoms of heart failure, check an EKG and an echocardiogram. The excretion of myoglobin in urine can be monitored with a urine dipstick for hemoglobin, which actually picks up the iron in the myoglobin as well and allows you to watch for its reduction. Alkalinization is sometimes utilized in the face of acute gravedomyelosis. The literature on that is really for crush injuries and not fatty acid oxidation disorders. I typically don't find it to be necessary to alkalinize the urine to protect the kidney kidneys and these disorders. Chronic therapy focuses on dietary management and the use of supplementation, avoidance of fasting with overnight sleeping, usually not more than eight hours in older children and four hours in infants. In older children or adults, excessive weight loss and caloric deprivation can trigger episodes we try to give medium chain triglyceride oil or triheptanoin which i'll come to in a second to give somewhere between 20 percent of calories from fat and so to accomplish that it's often necessary to restrict long chain fat intake however you have to give at least 10 percent of calories from long chain fat to prevent nutritional deficiency an increase in dietary protein can provide additional substrates for the tca cycle and a bedtime snack with a high nutritional value can allow patients a little bit of extra time sleeping at whatever age they are. DHA is an essential fatty acid in patients with l and TFP because they can't synthesize it, so it needs to be supplemented. Keep track of the essential fatty acids in patients. They may need to be supplemented on a low-fat diet if they become deficient. Triheptanoin has recently been approved by the FDA, currently has orphan drug designation by the EMA. It is an odd-chain carbon triglyceride C7, and its metabolism leads to two molecules of acetyl-CoA and one of propidyl-CoA. Both are necessary for TCA cycle function, and and provides a better, more balanced substrate for energy metabolism in these patients. In the pivotal clinical trial, at 78 weeks, triheptanone was able to reduce overall clinical events in these patients described as rhabdomyolysis, hypoglycemia, or cardiomyopathy by 50% and reduce hospitalizations by 50%. It also reduced the duration of both the events and hospitalizations. In an extension study, this pattern continued. This was a longer-term study with patients who either rolled over from the clinical trial, started it naïve after the clinical trial was completed, but before the drug was approved, or was started as part of an emergency authorization. In these patients, the reduction of events continued in patients who were rolled over from a previous trial indicating the long-term benefit of the therapy, the reduction in hospitalizations and duration was also seen in triheptanoin naive patients and perhaps was even more extensive. The side effects are very similar to medium-chain triglyceride oil, mostly some GI upset, gassiness, bloating, and diarrhea, but they can be resolved by reducing the dose of the triheptanoin and slowly increasing it back up if necessary. While triheptanone has been an improvement in the treatment of these patients, they still are at risk to have episodes of cardiomyopathy and rhabdomyolysis. And so new treatments continue to be studied. REN001 is currently in clinical trials, and it has been shown in VLCAB-deficient cells to reduce the accumulation of reactive oxygen and improve energy metabolism. The other modalities that you see on this slide have been either tested in small cohorts of patients or followed in preclinical studies in mice or cells and are likely to be developed more in the coming years. So in summary, treatment of symptomatic patients with long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders includes avoidance of triggers, of decompensation, and dietary modifications, including the use of triheptanoin. In recent years, newborn screening and refinements in treatment have improved the outcomes in treatments of patients with long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders, and new treatments under development should cover the significant unmet additional need in these patients in the future. In the next four short episodes, I will present different cases of long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders and their management approach. Thank you for listening and please join me on the next episode. In this episode, I will discuss the case and management approach of a newborn with a long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorder. This case starts with a newborn who had some problems with a little bit of low glucose early on and was diagnosed with LCHAD deficiency on newborn screening. He was treated with medium chain triglyceride oil and was relatively asymptomatic until about seven years of age when he started having episodes of rhabdomyolysis and then dilated cardiomyopathy and sudden cardiac arrest at eight years of age. He was started on ECMO with no improvements and then finally switched to triheptanoin while it was still in clinical trials and had a significant improvement in his cardiac function. He was ultimately decannulated and recovered well. You can see here in a series of patients, this patient being number nine who had cardiac decompensations and improvement with triheptanoin. This patient had an ejection fraction that was essentially undetectable and recovered to completely normal with the triheptanoin. In addition, he had an improvement in his biochemical parameters with a reduction in CPK. You can see his increasing ejection fraction starting with the triheptanoin. In follow-up, after three weeks in the rehab unit, he was discharged to home. His current therapy continues with triheptanoin, a reduction in long chain fats, but is off uh, his cardiac meds completely. As of this recording, he is at age 15 and continues to have normal cardiac function. So, in conclusion, triheptanoin led to a recovery of this patient's acute cardiac events. This is consistent with clinical trials results that showed that uh, triheptanone reduces severity and duration of symptoms during acute events and reducing both the time of hospitalization and the duration of hospitalization. Triheptanone improves cardiac function even when patients are well and has an excellent safety profile in clinical trials. Thank you for listening and please join me for the next episode. In this episode, I will discuss a severe case of an adolescent with long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorder and the management approach that was followed. This patient was a male, was born in California where reward screening was being performed, and a diagnosis of VLCAT deficiency was made. He was started on a low-fat diet with medium-chain triglyceride supplementation in his formula. At six months of age, he had a low-grade elevation of CPK a very low free carnitine level, and some cardiomyopathy already present on cardiac echo. However, he looked well. He was started on some carnitine to deal with that low level. His subsequent course of treatment involved standard transition to low-fat diet as he got older, getting 10% of his needs from long-chain fat. He continued on carnitine, but he was not treated with triheptanoin, which was not yet approved at that time. However, his course was complicated. He was hospitalized numerous times over his first 10 years of life with elevations of CPK and DNP, a marker of cardiac failure. Here you can just see an example of one of his episodes where he had an elevation of CPK. But keep in mind that the other liver function enzymes, AST and ALT, are also seen in muscle. And so they will go up in parallel with CPK and drop at the same time. His cardiac evaluation at 10 years of age showed hypertrophic cardiomyopathy with a normal rhythm and he was given a modest exercise program that reduced isometric exercise and strengthened moderate aerobic exercise. He continued to have hospitalizations typically triggered by illness and exercise, but his cardiomyopathy maintained at a relatively stable level for several years, the duration of follow-up of this patient. He is followed for the possibility of renal damage because of his rhabdo episodes, but that's been stable. Thank you for listening and please join me on the next episode. In this episode, I will discuss the case and management approach in a 7-month-old girl diagnosed with long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorder. This was a 7-month-old girl who was born actually before newborn screening, and so she was transferred to the emergency department from her pediatrician's office because of rapid onset of encephalopathy and seizures. She had an initial glucose level of 30 milligrams per deciliter, which is equivalent to 1.65 millimoles per liter. A glucose infusion was started, and the patient was unresponsive originally and became responsive with glucose. You can see the patient's initial laboratory evaluations here. They were notable for following the original glucose infusion of Coca-Cola-colored urine with 3-plus blood on dipstick, but no red blood cells, and a CPK level in blood of 32,000. Keep in mind that that urine dipstick measures not only hemoglobin, but myoglobin, and so this patient was in acute rhabdomyolysis at admission. The metabolic testing showed elevations of C16-hydroxy and C18-hydroxy, carnitine on a blood acylcarnitine profile, and long-chain dicarboxylic acids in the urine. This pattern is consistent with an LCHAD deficiency. The clinical symptoms here are quite characteristic of a symptomatic patient, hypoketotic hypoglycemia, rhabdomyolysis. The diagnosis is supported by the asocarnitine and organic acid profiles, and the prominent unsaturated species could suggest a complete TFP deficiency, though it's very difficult to differentiate between TFP and isolated LCHAT deficiency on this basis. Lactate can be elevated during acute crises, and mild hyperammonemia, especially in younger children, is frequent. The metabolites here, as I mentioned, are consistent with the diagnosis of the mitochondrial trifunctional protein deficiency. That's the second to the fourth steps of fatty acid oxidation for long-chain fats. But keep in mind that not all countries screen for fatty acid oxidation disorders, or parents may have refused newborn screening. And so if you have a patient with this set of symptoms, you should think about it. Understanding glucose homeostasis is helpful in understanding the clinical symptoms and biochemical findings in patients with long-chain fatty acid and oxidation disorders. Here in this slide, courtesy of the Society for Inherited Metabolic Disorders, North American Metabolic Academy, you can see that glucose sources with fasting drop in the first four hours post-meal due to the effect of insulin and with no other intake, become dependent on release of glycogen from glycogen stores. If the fasting lasts longer than about eight hours, gluconeogenesis kicks in, which is fueled by energy from fatty acid oxidation. On the right side, you can see the utilization of fuels with prolonged fasting starting at about 12 hours but lasting for as long as fasting occurs with gluconeogenesis, as I said, fueled by fatty acid oxidation, which occurs from released free fatty acids through lipolysis, and then ketogenesis, which is the other end product of fatty acid oxidation. Fatty acid oxidation produces the ATP that allows gluconeogenesis to occur. In conclusion, changes in the level of consciousness should always bring hypoglycemia to mind. A quick resolution of the symptoms with glucose administration is characteristic of fatty acid oxidation disorders. If you find somebody in this setting, always get acute metabolic labs because they may normalize when the patient is well. And hypoglycemia is a late finding in fatty acid oxidation disorders compared to other causes of hypoglycemia, particularly the glycogen storage diseases and gluconeogenesis. Thank you for listening, and please do join me on the next episode. In this episode, I will discuss a case of uh, a newborn with long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorder and talk about the effect of newborn screening on long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders. Our patient is a four-year-old diagnosed with tfp LCAD deficiency as a newborn. He was well after delivery, went home, and at four days of age, the newborn screen came back with a result consistent with TFP or LCHAD deficiency. And it's very difficult to differentiate between the two strictly on the basis of the metabolites. However, follow-up molecular testing was consistent with TFP deficiency with biallelic mutations in the HADHB gene for this patient. He was treated with dietary management, including MCT oil, and has remained asymptomatic for the first four years of his life. In this slide, you could see the process of a newborn screening where just a little drop of blood is taken from the heel, spotted on a filter paper, and sent to a central lab, typically for tandem mass spectrometry analysis that can give a diagnosis in three to four days. I say diagnosis, it's a screening test. You have to confirm the diagnosis. That is typically done by repeating the acylcarnitine profile using a blood sample, but then followed up with genetic testing typically to get the final diagnosis. The follow-up of a newborn screening with mutation analysis is quite helpful because it identifies common mutations in some of the genes involved in fatty acid oxidation that can be predictive of phenotype. You saw the impact of newborn screening on the case that I presented is quite profound. You can see a decrease in the episodes of cardiomyopathy, hypoglycemia, and hypotonia in patients identified by newborn screening with VLCAD or LCHAD deficiency compared to those identified by clinical diagnosis. The reason is that that allows you to move to management very early on to prevent the development of symptoms. Product management to remind you from one of my earlier presentations is avoidance of fasting, treatment of illness aggressively with energy intake, modification a long-term of dietary fat sources with the addition of medium-chain fats, either MCT oil or triheptanoin, and maintaining a long-chain fat intake to keep the RDA for bodily growth and maintenance needs. Protein intake can be increased to improve TCA cycle intermediate, and carnitine can be added If the patient's carnitine levels are low, we always recommend physical activity, mild to moderate aerobic exercise and a yearly echo EKG to look for cardiomyopathy or arrhythmia. The chart here just gives you one look at recommendations for overnight fasting, which is usually under four hours in patients who are under six months of age and then gradually increasing to eight to 10, maybe as many as 12 hours in older children. So, the long-term issues in fatty acid oxidation defects are quite considerable. It's a complicated treatment regimen. Families have long-term concerns about when to come to the emergency room versus treatment at home. And the disease progression is not predictable, except for mild mutations. Rhabdomyolysis and cardiac disease can occur at any age at any time. And the neuropathy in LCHAD and TFP deficiency and the retinopathy in LCHAD are well addressed by current therapy, so that's a long-term problem for families, as are coverage of specialty care formulas and medications depending on where the patients live. Fortunately, developmental outcomes in patients identified by a newborn screening are good with normal developmental outcome in one long-term follow-up study. Treatment of symptomatic long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders includes avoidance of triggers of decompensation, and dietary modifications including the use of triheptanoin. In summary, newborn screening and treatment have improved the outcomes of patients with long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders. Thank you for your attention. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.